Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Watford FC Buzz podcast the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford Football Club. My name is Matt Messiano and this week we'll be discussing Watford's 1-1 draw with Wickham and also having a chat about Watford's next opponents, Barnsley, with BBC Sheffield journalist Mike McCarthy. But first, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast Tom Burdell. Tom, how are you doing? I'm very well. Not too chuffed to be coming on after an underwhelming display and result, but hey-ho, you can't pick it. And also you injured your ankle as well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, it's uh, if, if as long as I'm the only one getting injured this season and key players staying fit, although that's not worked out particularly well so far, then it'll be worth it. But yes, suffering at the moment. Oh dear. Well, uh, Tom, before kickoff, I saw the team sheet and uh, I was pretty happy, actually. I liked the inclusion of Kapu. Saar was starting. That's always good. But for some reason, that decent looking team on paper couldn't handle a side that had lost every league game up until that point. Worrying signs or just a bad day at the office? Good question. Uh, firstly, yeah, I like that team as well. I like Etienne Kapoor a hell of a lot. I wrote about him in the week uh, because I like him that much. And I like Domingos Kino as well. So to get them both in there, I thought that should be quite fun with Kapoor's passing range. And Kino, you know, very confident carrying the ball forward and what have you. But it just didn't work, did it? And... It's a, it was a bad day at the office. I don't think we should get too carried away. You know, there was a lot of hysteria on Watford Twitter last night. A few people saying uh, Vladimir Ivic is out of his depth, which are just, you know, it's laughable as far as I'm concerned. This is a guy who's got an incredible pedigree, won trophies, barely lost a game in his last job, let alone conceded a goal. So, you know, to write him off after, was it six games or something is ridiculous. It's 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 ridiculous. So no, I don't think it's I don't think it's anything to be too worried about. However, what I would say is the things that we saw last night um, that were problematic have been the case for a while now, or, or for this entire season. So I think you know we kept the ball, or tried to keep the ball. We didn't actually keep it that well at times, but we tried to keep the ball, and there was a bit of a lack of kind of final ball end product. Well, we've seen that before. You know the uh, derby game. I tweeted partway through that that. You know, it felt like two teams who were holding on to the ball but didn't really know what they were supposed to do with it after that. And it was similar last night. You know, I don't think we actually kept the ball very well at times, as I say, but we tried to. And there was a complete lack of desire to make that final pass or really break lines with the ball. 
um and that that is something that we've seen before i think you know the lack of physicality uh up front in in terms of shell pedro and ishmael Assar, they're great players um uh, I like the fact that we're playing with two guys up front who are very mobile and who want to run in behind, but you've got to give them that service. And, you know, they feel like players, and I said this to someone on Twitter last night, that that want to take the ball on, you know, have the ball played into them on the half turn, on the shoulder of the last defender, use that pace to get in behind. Well, you know, we never we never gave them that sort of delivery. And in the end, it was a cross, uh, fine, fine cross that it was. It was a cross into the box from Kiko Femenia that, that led to the led to Ishmael Assar heading home, and you would never have expected Ishmael Assar to be, you know, knocking in a, a header like a proper old-fashioned number nine, would you? Not the sort of goal you'd associate with him. So there are things that we maybe should be concerned about in summary, but definitely things that we've got to work on, and definitely kind of recurring themes from this season so far. Yeah, I uh, I saw a, a post you put out on Twitter and at uh, TB Bodell if you want to follow Tom for all the latest stuff. And uh, on this picture, it, it was a it was an XG map for for both of the two sides. Mm. Wickham's was one point six one total versus zero point eight nine. I mean, whew, that's a bit different. That yes, um, it's. It is, it is worth looking at, I must admit. Seek it out, and Matt kindly uh, give my Twitter a plug, but it's well worth looking at because it'll explain exactly what, it, visually, what I'm about to say, which is that the chances we had were just not very good. Uh, we had sort of four or five shots, in fact, from outside the penalty area. Automatically, those are going to be very low value for those who don't necessarily grasp how expected goals works. You'll ascribe the value for each effort based on number of factors, but principally where the shot's taken from, uh, the type of shot that it is, is header, volley, shot, um, defenders between the, the effort and the goal, etc. You know, number of factors, but really a, a good place to be shooting from is the kind of central third of the penalty area within the 18-yard the, the box itself. That's a good area to be shooting from. Well, Watford had one shot in that area, basically, and it was the the goal that Ishmael Assar scored. And you'll see on the, the graphic that I tweeted um, that that was the darkest colour, red, which meant that it was, in quotes, the easy end of the scale. Every other effort we had was yellow, which is deemed the hard end of the scale, i.e. very low value, very unlikely to score. Uh, as I say, five shots from outside the penalty area and the other, uh, the other seven efforts we had on goal that didn't result in a goal were all from kind of you know, outside of those lines of the six-yard box, which automatically makes it a lot harder. Whereas Wickham had a cluster of efforts inside the kind of the lines of the six-yard box, if you imagine those lines carrying out. And and, and Adebayo, I can I had a couple of those. There was one I can remember particularly, Cross that came in and he sort of, I don't know if it actually was him that made contact with the ball in the end, but he sort of either got a toe on it himself or... Um, sort of battered Christian Cavasali into the ball and, and nudged it on. He had a, a volley that, or half volley that he slashed over. He had a headed opportunity. You know, he was getting into positions uh, and balls were being put into him that were in good areas. And it is so, yeah, I was not particularly surprised when I looked it up this morning to learn that their, um, their XG was nearly, after 90 minutes, was nearly twice what ours was. Yeah, and surprising given that uh, looking at the stats, Watford had the majority of, of the possession. In fact, they dominated, really. They had 70% of the possession. But uh, that, that didn't really tell the story of the game. No, and uh, do you know what? The funny thing is, that wasn't surprising either. But it just went to show what 
the two managers kind of set their teams out to do, I thought. And, mm. you know, we, we talked a minute ago about keeping the ball for the, keeping the ball's sake almost. And it felt like that with Watford. There was a complete lack of kind of forward thrust and penetration, whereas Wickham unashamedly went fairly direct. We, we you know, any team coming up against Wickham is going to know that. They were like that last season. They've been like that every season under Gareth Tainsworth. But there's a reason that he's taken them from the foot of League Two to the Championship, because they have a game plan. They are very organised, they're very structured, well-structured and it works for them. So putting balls into big Bayouac in Fenway might not be pretty. It's not going to win <laughs> any style plaudits, is it? But it was effective and he bullied our central defenders, got in good positions, as I said a second ago, and had opportunities. Um, with a little bit more guile and quality, I, I think they would have probably, you know, and Ben Foster as well, we should say, made two or three good saves. You know, they would probably have, have got a couple of goals um quite quite easily so there's there's something to be said at times i think for adapting your game plan and saying right you know what just trying to play 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 isn't working let's try and get some balls in behind um the fullbacks you know jack grimmer on the right hand side was getting very high up the field as his average touch map which was another thing i tweeted um average positions for both teams showed he was getting very high up get some balls down the line get some balls in behind him get him on the turn see if ken semmer see if Joao Pedro can get in, you know, down the channels and, and try and make something happen there, pull people out of position. But what we needed to do was uh, I put the, the average positions out for both teams, um, average position maps out on my Twitter earlier. And Jack Grimmer, the right back for Wickham, was very high up, which gave us an opportunity to get balls in behind, you know, counter-attack, get balls in behind him, get him on the turn, get him running towards his own goal and use, you know, Ken Semmer, great delivery, pace of Joao Pedro and, and, and you know, get them on the turn and, and try and make things happen like that there's there's a lot to be said for trying to keep the ball it's a very noble pursuit and you know clubs like Barcelona and their kind of commitment to that style of play kind of help fetishize it but sometimes you do have to see what's in front of you and play what's in front of you and adapt the situation and and Wickham you know got did exactly that they got into our faces got high up the field and made it difficult for us to play out which affects us there would have been no crime in my view in trying to get a few balls in behind but then I think you're you know and up to the forwards but I think you're hamstrung by the fact that it's, it's Joao Pedro and uh, Ishmael Asar neither of whom are physically particularly strapping um, up there and it, you know I've been as critical as anyone as if not more critical than anyone else of Troy Deeney and I like the fact that we're trying to move away from that but there are probably games like that yesterday which are made for someone like him if you're getting the ball up to him and he's holding it up or flicking it on or occupying those centre-halves, making room for the likes of Raul Pedro and Ismail Assar. That's a different way of playing. And I think it would have been a game for someone like him, be it Glenn Murray, another one, or Stipe Perizzo, who's obviously injured now, but, mm. you know, yeah. a bit bigger and kind of more physically imposing. Um, just as I'm aware this is already a very long answer, but I will ask you just quickly add is, I don't necessarily know with the personnel that we've got, if holding on to the ball... Uh, so much suits us because the Blackburn game, one three one took a bit of a battering in terms of chances. But that's you know we scored three three times in that game. Yeah. We had considerably less possession. We've completed considerably fewer passes. I think I'm right in saying as well. But yet we've come away with the win. And I just think there's some there's some food for thought there about being a bit more adaptable and a bit more flexible in terms of our style of play. Yeah, good points. Uh, you mentioned Joe Pedro there, and and uh, he almost uh, managed to continue his goal-scoring uh, 
well, traits that he's been exploring uh, this season with Watford, but uh, it was, it was, in fact, it was, it was a, a carbon copy of Saar set up for Pericho against Bournemouth, but this time Pedro yeah. was deemed to have handled it as he as it went in, and I think to be fair, it was correctly ruled out. But uh, the young man got himself into the right position on that occasion. But it, it was that those kinds of balls just didn't really come that often. I think that was possibly the only one I can remember in the game where where, where we they got into that sort of position again, Tom. Yeah, we've seen already, haven't we, that uh, the goal he scored against Luton uh, and the goal he scored against Bournemouth, am I right in thinking as well, was very similar, sort of low ball in and, uh, sorry, that it was, was preached, it, but, Bournemouth, but uh, you know, similar yeah. principle of getting low balls into the box, good movement in the penalty area and, and scoring like that. But when you, I looked in, uh, I looked in Scout earlier at the, the crosses that we put into the box um, as, as as a bit of a study of, you know, how we were actually delivering the ball into the penalty area. And what was immediately noticeable was firstly that most of our crosses were coming from Kiko Feminier and it was, you know, let's take a second to just acknowledge what an absolute peach it was that he yeah. put in for Shmalisari. It just had to just had to hit him on the head, basically. Didn't, yeah. Not to undo the work he did, but it did really just have to hit him on the head to go in. It was such a good ball in terms of whip and delivery and what have you. But um, in terms of in terms of the crosses that we put into the box, it was largely Kiko Feminia. And to be honest, apart from that, there wasn't an awful there wasn't an awful lot of those kind of deliveries in. I looked, you know, we put a lot of I think we attempted something like twenty five crosses into the box, but there were just there was a lot of very hopeful, you know, mixed deliveries, quite poor deliveries at times as well. Um, and we've seen what has been successful, so I just don't know why we weren't trying to be, you know, trying to go for that kind of low, hard delivery uh, a bit more often. But for some reason we weren't. And it was a lot of opportunities went 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 to waste like that. And uh, when Watford finally did manage to score in, in, in the in the second half, uh, and we've talked about that amazing goal that Shmelia uh, Saar headed home, um, I mean, it wasn't so much an amazing goal from, from, from Saar, but the, the, the cross, like you said, was was very very good but Watford crucially they didn't manage to turn that goal into any sort of momentum and it was almost as soon as they had scored Wickham just got back to what they were doing um, really utilising uh, Akin Fenra and, and Scott Kashkett as well it has to be said that those two you know were sort of like taking it in turns to have shots against Foster and, and Foster you know got the man of the match award he was uh, it was that good in uh, in stopping uh, the attacks but um why do you think that we wasn't able to to turn our initial one goal advantage into some sort of momentum? Yeah, I think what I will say is that looking at the just referring back to the XG, what is noticeable is that our first half XG was actually significantly worse than our second half XG. That total figure of 0.89. Uh, 0.25 in the first half, of which wow. most belongs to Craig Cathcart. 0.64 in the second half, of which more than half belonged to Ishmael Assar. So there wasn't, you know, a lot of particularly clear-cut chances. I just think uh, that we, in the second half, we did improve, but we didn't, we never built on the momentum, as you say. And I think, recall, kind of replaying the game back in my mind, I, I just think that we got a little bit complacent and a little bit kind of, lazy with our passing at times it, it felt like we were giving the ball away more and more um you know Wickham seemed to be kind of putting that putting that pressure on uh increasingly and 
I actually looked at it. Uh, the 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 data they uh, Wickham's the amount of passes they allowed before a defensive action in the second half was almost twice what it was in the first half. So what I mean by that is the amount of passes that they allowed us to make before possession was kind of broken up by a tackle or an interception. In the first half, they allowed us nine passes almost per defensive action. In the second half, they allowed us 19. So they actually, despite what it felt like, were kind of pressing more effectively. So I don't know what you know we were doing in possession, but it wasn't effective. And to be honest with you, Domingos Kina, when when he came off, I struggled to you know recount a, a moment where he did something particularly outstanding or noteworthy to drive the ball for. We never really saw Etienne Capu play the kind of passes that we know he can. You know, really spread the play with his uh, range of passing and his vision. And you know, after a while, it just became very reliant on uh, on getting balls out wise Kiko Femenir and seeing what he could do by running at them which um, you know worked up to a point with the goal but it didn't really work again yeah not long after Watford took the lead uh, Wickham got back on level terms it was a, a set piece we, we we expect them to be dangerous from set pieces and it, and it so proved it was a Jacobson corner that was well met by Anthony Stewart but uh, it it, was, it felt like it was a little bit easy for him to get the header on. He was being mm-hmm. marked by Cabaselli at the time, but I felt like Cabaselli let him steal a march on him there. Yeah, big time. Um, it was funny in the commentary, and I saw I saw someone mention this on Facebook today, so it didn't evidently go unnoticed. Someone said, uh, what the commentator said of Cabaselli, oh, a defender that really likes defending. And I just thought, is that true? Because he is not someone <laughs> I would associate you know, I don't want to. I don't want to dig the guy out. I do think he's a decent player, um, but no, he's not someone I I associate with the basics of defending. And they said there on the commentary that their analysis of it at the time immediately was kind of, oh, you know, freehead and never, you know, got the wrong side of him. Well, no, he never got the wrong side of him at all. Cabaselli kept him. Uh, you know, Cabaselli was goal side. He just never got up and competed with Anthony Stewart for the header. He never got off the ground. He never looked like he wanted to be in that <laughs> yeah. physical battle. You know. So up to a point, he did everything right, but then it was a very, it was a great head, bullet header, but you know, very simple goal for a, a central defender to 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 nod home really, because as I say, such good delivery from uh, from Joe from Joe Jacobson. You know, he we know what he can do, and I'm sure we're going to come on to it. We um, we we we've we've seen him score goals from corners for fun, and you know, he certainly did his uh, did his best to. Uh, do that again later in the game it, it should have been no surprise to us that that was um, their approach that that was what they were going to look to maximise they've actually had the most after last night the most attempts on goal in the championship after a set piece uh, of, of any team uh, 18 however from corners they've actually had the fewest attempts on goal uh, with just six, so it kind of, you know, really kind of rams home the uh, the, the disappointment in conceding like that in such a soft way. Mm. Well, you brought on brought it up there, uh, Tom. So I'll, I'll go on to it. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, uh, we we thought for a moment that uh, Wickham had stolen all three points, but the the goal was was ruled out correctly, I think. But uh, talk us through it. Yeah, so Joe Jacobson, he did this. I think they said something like he scored three goals 
from set pieces last from direct from corners last. I think that's right. Three goals direct from set pieces last season. He scored more than that in his Wickham career. But I think there was one game last season where he actually scored two in a game, if I remember rightly. Anyway, wow. we know he is. We know he is a set piece threat. Any kind of basic research on Wickham would tell you he is a set piece threat. They've got more. Um, they've they've got a, a number of assists uh, from set pieces, goals from set pieces last season. So that was always going to be the case. And he's whipped it. It's a lovely ball, you know. It, it whipped it right on top of Ben Foster and Alex Samuel, the the Wickham substitute, has sort of backed into him and made it impossible for Foster to jump. In commentary, Danny Higginbotham seemed to reckon that there was um, there was no foul, there was no no issue there. And in our group of Watford uh, former Watford Observer writers, uh, included among which are Adam Newson, your guest prior to this game. Uh, he said he was with me the the the, the behavior of alex samuel suggested he had absolutely no intention of winning the ball he spent his entire time trying to obscure ben uh, you know obstruct ben foster sorry not obscure sort of stuck his backside out and tried to you know made it so that foster was going to go over the top of him couldn't get up straight and catch it or punch it whereas the wickham supporting friends of adams that he refers to also a former Watford Observer uh, writer, a, a guy called Matt Bass, who supports Wickham, uh, was absolutely adamant that they'd done nothing wrong and that uh, Ben Foster had, uh, you know, made a hash of it. So I think that I probably sums it up that. quite, exactly, sums <laughs> it up quite neatly, doesn't it? The Wickham fan sees nothing wrong with it. The two guys with Watford links uh, felt that there was an injustice uh, against Ben Foster. And I just, I couldn't see it any other way, even, you know, I I like to think that I'm pretty objective and I'll bash Watford over the head when they deserve it. But I didn't think Ben Foster did anything wrong. He tried to punch the ball clear or, or claim the ball and he was obstructed the entire way. So uh, I actually thought the referee got that one right, which after the shambolic refereeing display against Bournemouth at the weekend, we probably hoped. Yeah, and, and actually uh, Ben Foster had, again, a terrific game. He keeps coming yeah. out with these amazing performances, doesn't he, every game. And he's, uh, he's dig Watford out again tonight because they... They, they were poor for a large spells in that game, Tom. And, um, mm. you know, with a, a weaker goalkeeper, Watford could have been looking at defeat there. No, absolutely. I think we're lucky that he's, A, as old as he is, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, Ben, and B, um, someone who clearly holds a lot of stock in being somewhere where he's happy and appreciated. Because I think if he was even five years younger, you know, sort of early 30s and of a different mindset, to what he is, we'd probably be looking at fending off some bids for him in January because he made some some really good, you know, he made five saves yesterday. Four of those were considered reflex saves. Um, and as I say, a couple of those, I think, would probably have snuck in um, had he not got in the way of them, um, particularly the one from, from Bayouac in Fenway, which he helped round the mm. right-hand post uh, off that cross. So... No, he's he's been excellent this season, and it was the same against Bournemouth, wasn't it? He made several yeah. really good saves against Blackburn. Made even more. I think he was man of the match again against Blackburn, wasn't he? Possibly. Um, you know, he is such an important player for us. Um, and you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, wasn't it? Who said a good goalkeeper's worth fifteen point extra points a season? Well, I think Ben Foster's well on his way to earning us fifteen extra points this season, based on the first few weeks of the season. It's uh, it's telling that Vladimir Ivic said uh, after the game that uh, Ben Foster being given the man of the match shows that something was wrong, um, which was interesting that he yeah. feels that and it, and it, 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 I think he feels that it's that it's also not quite clicking at the moment and and it's good to know that he's aware of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is what I like about it, Rich. And this is, you know, just one of the reasons why I don't for a second think that he is out of his depth because he's fully aware that we're not playing as well as we could be. He's fully aware that there's a lot of sterile possession. There's a lot of possession for possession's sake. We aren't creating many good chances. We're certainly not taking many of the good chances we do create. And we have at times, I don't want to say looked vulnerable, but there have been score lines where on the balance of play, we would probably consider ourselves a little bit lucky and indebted to Ben Foster. I am particularly thinking of that mm. Blackburn game. But yeah, no, it, and Foster said similar as well. If you've seen his post-match interview, he was very, yeah. very critical. Yeah. He said, you know, there, there's, I hope there's a lot more to come from this team because there's a lot of ability. And we, you know, we spoke right at the beginning of the sort of summer window, I think, didn't we? At a point when we said, you know, there are a lot of players we expect to leave. We've actually held on to a lot more of those players than we'd expect. Um, Capu, Hughes, Feminia, you know, all guys I think we'd have expected to lose. Ishmael Asar, Ditto. But with that comes an expectation that we are going to, you know, make the most of having those players on the book still and, and, and really kick on from here. And at the moment, it's difficult because, you know, Will Hughes hasn't kicked the ball yet. Troy Deeney's played about five minutes, if that. Uh, Ishmael Asar has been in and out because of international duty and general kind of fatigue. So, you know, we've not been able to name a consistent side at any point. We've just, you know, Peritza having come in and looked pretty handy against Bournemouth, then gets injured and looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks with a hamstring problem. So, you know, there's been no consistency and we've talked, you know, to death about the, the truncated pre-season and all the issues of that and just being able to reintegrate Etienne Kapoor. None of it's ideal. So I think for me, the bigger picture is that we are at the time of uh, recording. I think we were th- we're third in the championship standings, despite all of those factors, and still with important players to come back into the team uh, and important players to really find their groove. So it's not incredibly inspiring at the moment, maybe, but I think there's enough to be optimistic about. We've got a good platform to build from, and, and we should you know look at that and kind of resolving the things that aren't 100% right. I wonder if there's an expectation on, on Watford to to play in a certain way because they have the likes of Saar and and, uh, and yeah. Jao Pedro and, and Femini and, and Kapu up there on their books. And, and you know, I think something else that Ivic said after the game was that uh, he said it was a tough night. They uh, We expected something like that before the game, referring to Wickham's performance. But today we didn't do our, our job the best we can. So, I mean, what, what that's telling me is that he... He knew how Wickham would come to play, but um, they still set up in the way that they were sort of rather have been doing pretty much most of the season. I wonder if perhaps if they didn't have the likes of Saar and those other players I mentioned, maybe they would have, you know, changed their, I don't know, changed their their style coming into it, knowing Mm. that, knowing that it was going to be a difficult one because I I, I felt as though, Wickham really had us nailed on and um, they just played in a way that is something that we would prefer not to, the, the sort of the, the direct ball that a lot of teams sometimes frown upon. But um, it, it's obviously very effective when, when, you, when you're a team like Wickham who, who know how to play in that way. And, and yeah. you know, for large periods of the game, Watford, Watford just couldn't handle it. And, and it's, it's, it's surprising knowing that that's, what was what was they expected to happen, and yet they didn't seem to be prepared for it when when they when the, when they kicked off. 
Absolutely. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I think we all saw the graphic that the, the club tweeted with the um, the squad list way back in the summer when people like Estepinan and Luis Suarez and what have you were still here and there was, you know, real expectation and excitement and a lot of people I saw sort of quote retweeting or replying saying, wow, this is almost cheating. This is the best championship squad ever. Obviously, a lot of players have moved on since then and others haven't been available for various reasons. But there is a lot of quality here and there is a lot of players that people would rightly expect are to be better than um better than this than this level. So I think that does create a level of expectation. And you can absolutely guarantee, and I tweeted this last night, that in that Wickham dressing room last night, prior to the game, Gareth Ainsworth is gonna have been saying, you know, get into these early doors, put them under pressure, make it uncomfortable for them, ensure that they have to earn the right to play the way they want to play see if they fancy it, you know, coming to little old Wickham on a Tuesday night in the championship at the end of October. This isn't what, you know, some of these players are going to have expected their careers to, to the path these players will expect their careers to take down, you know, really test them and see if they're up for it. And I've no doubt in my mind that Ivic would have prepared them to the, you know, prepared them to the nines. He strikes me as a very serious guy uh, who knows exactly what the demands of the championship are going to be like. But I just think some of those players maybe didn't adapt to the situation, didn't maybe think that they would need to work as hard as they did to overcome a team that on paper had a lot less, um, you know, a lot less ability than them. And that was why we saw what we saw, which was uh, a, a team with lesser resources and, and, and lower quality players come away having created the better chances, had the better of the game and and feeling like they should have they should have got their first win of the season. Because let's not forget then won before then got a point, sorry, before last night and, and they'd come away thinking against a team that would expect to be going into the the top six at least. Um, you know, that they they were the hard done by team. I don't think any Watford fan would feel they were hard done by apart from having to watch it for ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, one, one, another thing that I, that I, I noticed during the game, and um, this has actually been picked up by a few people, but I wanted to mention it as well because I thought it was very interesting and it's something that I've not seen uh, a manager do before, which was when Cabaselli came off injured, rather peculiarly, but for, for reasons that he's, that he's explained, Ivic replaced him with Nathaniel Chalabar, who is certainly mm. more of a central midfield player than a centre-back. When he had a couple of centre-backs in Shiralta uh, and also Wilmot on the bench that uh, he didn't turn to. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. But do you know what? I liked it because uh, I've been critical of Nathaniel Shalabar and I suspect I'll be critical of him going forward this season as well. I just don't think he's delivered on the ability we know he has since that injury. Just period. I just don't think he has. But... I could see the sense in it because ultimately, as we said, you know, Wickham putting on a lot of pressure, pressing us high up the field. If you look at the average position maps again, you know, their whole team is yards higher up the field than our our, our team was, than Watford was. And I think, although Chalabar wasn't, evidently wasn't instructed to come on and, and wallop it long, uh, here's someone who can play out defence, carry the ball forward. And I think, you know, has the confidence to do that as a midfielder. I just think the idea was get someone on from deep, get someone on who from deep can try and drive forward in a way that I suspect, I mean, I've never seen Sir Alta kick a ball 
uh, in my life. And Wilmot, good though he's been, maybe not as good on the ball as, as Chalabar is yeah. uh, or can be. You know, it's... Um, I think there's definitely room good... for improvement there, though. He's, he's a young player yeah. and he's, um, you know, he's only going to get better and better, Wilmot. But yeah. um, I think you're right. At, at this stage in his career, maybe Chalabar was the right option there. If, if he wanted somebody on who was going to be more of a ball-playing guy. Yeah, exactly. I think I look, the breakdown of passes is quite interesting. You mentioned earlier, you know, we attempted nearly 500 passes to Wickham's 230. The We had twice as many forward passes as them nearly. But in terms of progressive passes, so passes that actually took the ball forward, actually took the ball into um, the the forward, the, the final third, um, they, they, they attempted 75 and completed 54. We attempted 84 and completed 63. So 72%, 75%, not a lot of difference. And I just think that that probably sums it up. That just shows that a lot of those passes weren't actually achieving anything. And I think that was probably part of the reason for bringing Chalabar on to try something a bit different from deep. But to be honest, he came on, he didn't do anything to set the world alight, really, did he? I think it's fair to say he came on with... 15 minutes to go, by which point the, the, the pattern of the game was rather set and we struggled to um, we struggled to create anything of note in that in that time. Okay, so let's draw a line under the Wickham game then because I think we're both uh, getting a bit depressed now talking about how <laughs> Watford probably should have picked up all three points. But we move on and we move on uh, against Barnsley now who are coming up on Saturday and, uh, you know, it's probably a bad time to play Barnsley. They've got this uh, new manager bounce now under Valerian Ishmael. They beat QPR mm. 3-0 on Tuesday, albeit a 10-man QPR, so let's not get out of ourselves. But, I mean, it's still going to be a tricky one for Watford because that that new manager bounce can really help teams to push forward. Yeah, I've got to admit, Barnsley are a very interesting team. I knew nothing about Gerhard Struber before he joined and then was obviously subsequently linked with Watford after the job he did and yep. has ultimately uh, moved on to New York Red Bulls in Major League Soccer. And I knew absolutely nothing about Valerian Ishmael when he was appointed. Um, what I would say is, you know, good records in terms of the calibre of clubs he's managed. Yep. Uh, Lask, obviously, in the Europa League. Uh, last season so you know they've gone outside the box again it worked well for them last time and in terms of some of the um, you know the their league standing at the moment obviously isn't spectacular but I think a lot of the underlying numbers suggest that they can could be doing a lot better and probably before too long will be doing a lot better um, they're a very progressive interesting side in a lot of ways you know they're uh, certainly for expected goals um they they do it they're not really hitting the numbers that they should be so there's room for improvement there they they press very well no one has attempted more tackles per 90 than this season they're third for for tackles one they're fourth for interceptions uh you know ball recoveries no one recovers the ball more often than they do they're second for possessions one in the attacking third which just backs up you know the fact that they do try and win the ball high. I think I think there's more to come from them and I suspect that is going to be a very tough game even though on paper as you look at it they're obviously um they're obviously sat in 21st and it doesn't strike you as a particularly um big challenge. Yeah, and uh, we'll be discussing more about Barnsley later on in the program with BBC Sheffield journalist Mike McCarthy, but uh, 
How, how do you think Watford will come into this game, Tom? I mean, it's uh, coming off off that 1-1 draw with Wickham. Uh, and it was a game when people were thinking that potentially Andre Gray or Will Hughes could come into contention. But maybe this is the game that they're being viewed to to come in for. And, and do you do you think that they that they will play? I certainly hope so. I like Will Hughes a lot. Um, I thought he was excellent last season. You know, he's probably the player of the restart from a Watford point of view. I don't know if he'll be thrown straight in. I suspect based on the way that Ivic has kind of teased players into the starting eleven that haven't been available, he will have to wait his turn as well. Um, I, I don't think that's any bad bad thing either, by the way. I don't think, you know, players should just waltz back into the team because they are on paper better, they are on paper bigger names, you know. No, I, I despite the problems that we've seen in the team, um, you know, these guys have got us to a point where we're, Doing fairly well, as I said, and and it's uh, it it would be un- unfair to to bring them straight back in. But if we have Hughes on the bench, then that in and Andre Gray, then that's a brilliant um, you know alternatives to have. And I think Gray in particular could be quite important. Seemingly did quite well in pre season against Spurs, and someone who's got a bit more physicality than Joao Pedro and and uh, Shmuel Sarr, a bit more nous obviously at this level can probably hold the ball up a little bit better than they can and bring others into play. Um, but, you know, it's that physical kind of presence. I think he's the one that could make the, the big impact quite quickly um, if he's available. And um, in terms of the, the, the way that Barnsley play, Barnsley, it, it would seem, at least under what we what Ishmael from, from Tuesday, it seems like they're a lot more of a, a get the ball down and, and play with it type type team rather than the the sort of uh, direct game that Wickham will play on Tuesday. Do you think that will play more into Watford's hands? Yeah, I think it will. I think it's a good point to raise. They are, you know, they do seem to play quite, uh, you know, quite a nice style of play, quite um, focused on, as you say, getting the ball down and playing. They've uh, probably got the blends that Watford would be looking for uh, in so much as averaging just over 400 passes a game, which sits them nicely in the top half. But in terms of forward passes, uh, they're actually second in the entire division. And I think that's the key. There's there's a time, to, as I said, to know, to kind of take the sting out of the game and keep the ball and, and draw the opposition onto you and try and counter-attack. But there are also times um, to, you know, actually kind of get the ball forward and, and try and make things happen, get in behind. I, I think Barnsley are a nice, uh, nice mix of that. And if you look, one of the I'm just going to give work a little plug here one of the the tools that we've got in the the content toolbox at 23 um, pulls all that information into visualizations and one of those visualizations is the passing network map and it's really you know you can see in theirs that there's a high volume of passes between the three center halves feeding to the wing back so there's evidently a big focus in terms of kind of use, recycling the ball, using the ball, getting it to the wing backs. And if you look at another graphic that uh, you could create, uh, the, the flank attacks, uh, you can see that there's a big emphasis on playing down the channels. And I think uh, they play with a, a back three, back five, depending on how you look at it. I think it could be a very interesting game in that respect uh, of, of, of whose wing backs come out on, on top. 
Okay, good stuff. Well, uh, last question then. The the one I always like to finish on, and uh, it's the one that no one ever likes to hear. It's the score prediction time. And um, <laughs> I mean, you should probably take into account that Barnsley are a bit of a draw specialist team. So so maybe maybe a draw would be where you want to go with, with your money here. But uh, what do you think is going to be the likely score, the likely outcome this this, this weekend? Yeah, as I say, I already said, I think this can be a tough game. I should just correct myself and say that at the time recording, Barnsley is 16th, not 21st. But as you rightly say, draw specialists only won once this season. I suspect we might be looking at another draw, but I'm going to say an entertaining draw to all. Excellent stuff. Well, that's Tom Bodell at TB Bodell on Twitter. You can find him, you can follow him and you can find out more Watford information. I urge you to do so because it was always really interesting stuff. Right, okay, coming up next in the second part of this podcast, I'm going to be chatting to BBC Sheffield journalist Mike McCarthy to find out more about Barnsley and the likely team that they could bring on Saturday. Oh, no. Oh, Mate, you've sliced that one. Oh. oh, man, that's just getting embarrassing now. Right, that's it. I'm sorting this out. Hello? Is that Nick Pinnett's Golf Academy? Can you fit me in for a few lessons, please? Oh, terrific. <gasps> yes. Blimey, what a shot. What in the world has happened to your game? If your game could do with some improving, get in touch with Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy, based in Panshanger. Nick is a PGA qualified coach who can analyse your game with the latest technology and coach you to beating your mates in no time. For more details, Google Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy. Welcome back to the Watford Buzz podcast where I'm joined by BBC Sheffield journalist Mike McCarthy at Mike McCarthy on Twitter. Uh, Mike, you've probably been a busy boy this week because, of course, we've uh, we've got some big Barnsley news. The announcement of new manager Valerian Ishmael, formerly of Bayern Munich as a player, and then he's managed the likes of Wolfsburg and, and the French under-21s, amongst others. Firstly, how did the departure of Gerhard Struber take place? And, and then uh, what do we know about the new gaffer? Well, I mean, in terms of Gerhard Struber, there have been suggestions for while starting in the summer after Barnsley had that miracle escape at the end of last season that Gerhard Struber was on the wanted list of a, a lot of clubs, supposedly Watford, were interested. Mm. Uh, then along the line uh, came uh, New York Rebels. Uh, and essentially, the deal was Gerhard Struber's got a buyout clause in his contract. You pay the money. He can talk to you. Now, New York Red Bulls are part of the Red Bull family. That's where Gerhard Struber's originated from in terms of uh, that institution back in, in Austria. So uh, that side of it was clearly quite tempting. And then, of course, you weigh up the idea of living in Barnsley or living in New York, stroke New Jersey. Yeah. And that is obviously you know, quite a tempting proposition as well for any ambitious manager. Um, there was also, I think, a feeling from Gerhard Struber, which has been the case with uh, a few Barnsley managers in the past, that he wasn't going to get the kind of investment that he wanted in the team to get it going higher up the league. The last interview that I did with him, was after the defeat against Middlesbrough, um, where you know I felt he was kind of making a point in bringing on uh, Victor Adeboyejo, who's kind of the biggest striker that Barnsley have, but he's a guy who was on loan at Cambridge United last season. He didn't seem like a big part of the plans at the club, um, and the whole 
transfer narrative around Barnsley is when are we going to get this big kind of burly striker who can offer a different kind of option up front for the Reds? They never got that done. And he was very, very frustrated about that and talked about the club lacking ambition. That is, of course, something that Barnsley uh, would uh, certainly deny. Um, And essentially, he was trying to make out that, um, that, that Barnsley didn't really want to invest as much as as uh, he wanted them to, and therefore he was going to go. Um, so that was essentially why he left. Um, right. And uh, and then Valerian Ishmael comes in. It was a bit of a, a wait, but not as long as it was to get Struber appointed. Adam Murray was in charge for five games and a good few weeks uh, last time around. This time he got three games in charge, and a third of them, Ishmael was in the stands watching at Millwall. So um, he's he's come in, has a similar kind of footballing philosophy uh, that Barnsley want to try and play, and um, well, he's had a good start. Yeah, absolutely, three 0 against QPR, and uh, well, I mean, before that game, it was it was looking like uh, you were becoming a bit of a draw specialist, picking up three in the trot. But uh, you think the new man's got them playing differently? Well, a little bit. Um, he he likes three at the back, um, but the most striking change was he had a front three. Uh, when Barnsley are in possession. It's kind of been Gerhard Struber liked to, at the start, toy with a bit of a diamond in midfield. Then he kind of settled on a 3-4-1-2 uh, with Barnsley, and he'd have a kind of withdrawn striker behind two up top. That has now changed basically to a 3-4-3, three, three. Okay. although out of possession, they're more like a back five, almost like a 5-4-1, if you like. Um, uh, but they like to have this aggressive high press. That is something that uh, Valerian Ishmael uh, wants to uh, keep going within the side. It's something that Gerhard Struber had as well. Um, and that's why they've got a very young athletic squad because the amount of running that they get through in a game is enormous. Uh, they will work harder than most sides in the championship out of possession to try and win it back as quickly as possible and put stress on teams as high up the pitch as they possibly can. Um, and it seems like that's something that was continuing. Yes, it's only one game. Uh, in the opening 20 minutes against QPR, by the way, they did look a little bit vulnerable. Um, but obviously, a, a ball through to Woodrow, he's in on goal, gets taken down, penalty, red card, and it's an entirely different game from there. And Barnsley really could have won the game by six or seven. That's not an exaggeration on the chances that they had. Mm. So it's a good start. Um, but I guess the red card in the, to the first half, it completely changes the complexion of the game. Yeah. And I think a lot of Reds fans will be hesitant to read too much into it, but certainly they can be pleased with it. Yeah, so um, before that uh, that game, obviously uh, they, they were picking up draws left, right and centre. And, and I, I suppose it, it, it must be difficult sort of... Uh, Managing a side when you're not really sure when the when the new boss is going to take charge, do you, do you feel like um they've they've got a better idea now of of of, of the of the style that they're going to be go, using moving forward? Yeah, I mean it seems like it's not too much of a change, and and the thing is the way recruitment works at Barnsley, they pick managers based on the style of football they want to play, so they never really. Uh, pick a manager and then all of a sudden the entire squad has to be changed because the players just don't fit the model of what the manager wants to do. Um, So because they are very specific in what they want when they recruit new bosses, they don't have that issue so much. And it means that the the transition from one manager to another, if like Daniel Stendhal left or if, of course, when Gerhard Struber left, there wasn't too much that needed to change. Now, you can... 
Um, argue that a few ways, of course, because it means that when matches go, and then you know they if they do quite well, then Barnsley you know might not be able to hold on for them too long, and particularly <laughs> yeah. when they get young, ambitious managers the likes of Stendhal and Struber and, mm. and now Ishmael, um, that might be uh, a problem in the future. But for now, it's it's working for them. Um, and we'll just have to see how it goes. Now, of course, Valerian Ishmael has unfortunately been appointed after the transfer window is closed. So he's going to have to rely on 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 just free transfers if he can get some in. But do you feel as though because the style that he's playing isn't that dissimilar from what Streber was, that the, the transfer business they did will suit the way that Ishmael wants to play? Or, or do you think that they they may look to add something in January? Yeah, it seemed like like that is is kind of the case that you know that most of the business and he seems pretty content with the squad that he's inherited. Uh, I did ask him at his press unveiling whether they are going to look for this you know quote unquote big striker who offers a plan B as it were in in games. Um, and his response was along the lines of, "Look, you know, if we're going to have to go into the free agency market, I want my players to be supremely fit because of how aggressively I want us to press." And therefore, if we're going to the free agency market market now, how long is it going to be before essentially they're fit enough to play in the style that I want them to? Mm. Um, so that would appear challenging. He didn't rule it out, but he didn't rule it in either. Um, so they may just wait until January. Um, and that, that might be what they need to do. But in terms of players that have come in, I mean, they signed Herbie Kane on transfer deadline day, which is a, a great midfield addition. He had a wonderful time at Doncaster Rovers yeah. uh, a couple of years back. Injury really cut him short at a hole and we didn't really see the best of him in the championship when he was uh, with them last season. Um, but he is a very useful midfielder. Matty James has come in on loan uh, from Leicester as well to really add experience into that midfield. He is yeah, a classy signing. operator. In, in the middle of the park. And Callum Britton as well has come in from MK Dons since uh, Gerhard Struber left and, you know, was unveiled and, and asked, you know, what's it like signing for a club when there's no head coach? And, you know, he seemed pretty okay with it. So um, that, that that side of it has been uh, okay. And he's impressed in his opening couple of games as well. So uh, in terms of the squad, it seems like the, the manager's okay and quite happy. And in terms of departures, anyone that uh, Barnsley fans will miss? I don't... I mean, I'm not not too sure there's too many. I mean, the the one w- that would really, really rankle is uh, is Jacob Brown, who did the, the running often of two players in those forward positions because he was just uh, so good at it in terms of the Barnsley press. And losing him to Stoke um, was, was a big blow. Um, but I think there's probably enough in the squad to cope with it. If they'd lost Woodrow and Mowat at the same time, then I think there would have been panic stations around Barnsley as, you know, where are the goals going to come from? Where's that midfield steal? How on earth are they going to adjust? Um, But they've kept hold of Woodrow and he's firing in the goals, albeit from the penalty spot at the moment. But, you know, he is starting to score again. And Alex Moe is is really the linchpin of that midfield as well. And and one of the guys that uh, is uh, is making sure that Barnsley can operate in the way that they do. Um, I think they're, they're, they're probably going to be okay. Yeah, Woodrow scored four in in the league so far this season, and uh, he, he's looking good. But uh, talk us through a few other key players that uh, Watford fans should be looking out for. Well, I mean, from a Barnsley perspective, one of the key players that's come in in the last year or so is Michael Solbauer at the back, um, because the Barnsley defence at the start of last season was shipping goals left, right, and centre, um, and was really, really struggling. 
Uh, there were so many errors creeping into games, basic mistakes that were leading to goal after goal after goal. And that was one of the things that Gerhard Struber was crazy in. He brought Michael Solbauer in. He added a bit of experience to the defence. Uh, and he also calmed down the other centre-halves who uh, were, were really struggling. Mads Anderson, the other side of that back three, uh, on the left now of it, uh, is a changed man, almost. He is much more calm. He is much more in control of what is happening in that defensive role. Um, so that, that those sides of, of things for Barnsley have certainly um, grown up. I think is probably the best way to talk about that squad because it is so young. Dominic Freeze is an interesting one because he worked with uh, Valerian Ishmael at his old club, Lask. Um, and he was very excited, Freezer, when he found out that that was you know, the addition that Barnsley had made as their new head coach because he said, look, I think he won 35 out of 45 games last season. He's a great coach. And, uh, and interestingly, he started in that front three um, and looked pretty good. So uh, that'd be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, as for the rest of it, well, I mean, I've mentioned Matty James already, but mm. if uh, his um, ability to dictate a game in the championship uh, can continue because he's had so many injury issues over the last couple of years. And that is the only question mark about him is now is, is you know, can he be fit and can he play at the same level that he used to? Because if he can, then Barnsley have got a very good midfield as well. So you've talked a bit about um, Barnsley's shape and, and how they want to play, but uh, given that Watford were struggling a bit against you know new boys Wickham on Tuesday particularly with the direct ball do you think that could come into the thinking for the game for the uh, for the shape for Barnsley or do you think they'll just carry on with with, with how they've been setting up well it's interesting because um Adam Murray talked about this uh, who's the uh, caretaker boss um when Struber left and also Valerian Ishmael has continued in the same vein um talking about progressing the ball quicker uh Ishmael called it a vertical game which is, I think, a posh way of saying we're going to get it forward quickly. Um, you know, so th- that side of it, you know, if, if Watford are struggling with those kind of uh, deliveries, then I'm sure that's something they'll look for. Um, the thing is, though, Barnsley don't have an Akin Fenwa type or someone up there who mm. can make the ball stick. Um, so they are probably more likely to try and thread the ball through the middle, um, look for the channel runs, maybe that sort of thing. But I can't see. You know the the, uh, the the that that style that Wickham employed and will successfully employ against quite a few teams in the Championship this season being replicated by Barnsley in the same way. It's uh, it's obviously a very 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 early days, and, and you've only just got to see how Barnsley are playing under the new man. But hmm. I mean, if if everything goes well, how how far do you think Barnsley Barnsley can go this season? Do you think the playoffs is out of No, no, I I don't think so. You know, a good season for Barnsley and and Ishmael said as much in his his press conference was to be safe much, much sooner than they were last season. And if they've got four or five games to go and they're safe and they're, you know, lower mid table, that is a good season for Barnsley, particularly having dealt with what they've had to deal with, as every club has, in a pandemic. Staying in the championship this season is absolutely essential to anyone in the bottom half of the championship this season and no different from Barnsley. If they stay up, it's a good season. You've got uh, some some tough games coming up ahead. I mean, November looks very busy. You've got the likes of uh, Cardiff City and then Derby and Nottingham Forest. Brentford, that'll be a, 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 a difficult one as well. It's it's uh, certainly a lot of games coming up. And, and if you just look across December as well, I think there's what, about eight games or so. I mean, it's uh, it's very, very busy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and absolutely the same for everyone else. And, and I guess this is one of the tests, really, if you, for uh, Barnsley's style, because if they want to play in a aggressive high press all the time, how do they conserve themselves in games? How do they manage that through what is the busiest season in, in living memory? Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how they manage the squads. Uh, you know, last last night they took off Woodrow early. Um, they took off a couple of others, you know, earlier than perhaps you would have seen as well, presumably for that very reason, to make sure they're OK for the weekend against Watford. And, and of course, you know, the busy schedule that they've got coming up. Um, so they're going to have to look out. I mean, every club is going to struggle with soft tissue injuries. And, you know, of course, anyone can be struck by COVID between you know now and the end of the season, the, the way things are going. So it really will be interesting to see how Barnsley cope with that. Um, if they can, though, uh, then uh, then they should be in OK shape. Good stuff. OK, final question then. It's the one that no one ever likes to answer. But uh, if you was uh, going to be putting some money down on this game, what would you think the score might be? Uh, score draw, I'd go for. Um, given Barnsley's recent record, let's go for two all. Not a bad shout. Well, that is great stuff. That's Mike McCarthy there from BBC Sheffield. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter for some more top football insight, albeit mostly from a Sheffield, Barnsley or crew perspective at Mike McCarthy. Well, sadly, we're out of time again, but don't worry because we'll be back again soon with some more great insight, great analysis and, of course, great guests. And if you've enjoyed the series so far, make sure to share it with your mates. Give us a retweet and please get in touch to tell us what you'd like to see in future episodes. But from me, Matt Messiano, this has been the Watford Buzz podcast. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.